You see, eh? A little positive thinking works wonders. We got the king on our side, we got Longfang arrested, and when we get back, Suki's waiting for me. Yeah. Girls are waiting for us. Thanks, positive attitude. Everything is gonna work out perfectly. From now on and forever. Welcome once again to the Bitter Durs podcast. We are a queer Avatar The Last Airbender superfan podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Derek Reining, and I'm joined with a man who is always willing to disrobe for the Earth King. It's Sam Stanish. I would do anything. What is, what is, what does Summer say? She's like, I... There's nothing I wouldn't do for this man. I would I would shed my clothes and bear <laughs> six children for, for this man. That's how I feel about the Earth King. I think we all feel that way about the Earth King. It's the uh, glasses and also the pet bear. Yeah, and he's like very willing to hear different sides. Like he receives earth shattering, sorry, uh, information <laughs> and like immediately is like, well, we should consider the possibility that the closest person in my life has been lying to me my entire life. So let's check things out. Good for him. He's receptive to hear things from 12 year olds. Yeah, I can't <laughs> relate to listening to other opinions, but it's good that someone out there can. Exactly. Um, well, speaking of people who have glasses, the great transition. <laughs> it's um, returning guest. And Survivor alum Gabby Pescuzzi. Hello. Hello Welcome. Yeah. Thank How are you. you. I'm great. I love to be identified by my glasses. <laughs> and you're not <laughs> even the defining part of myself. <laughs> I think that's what everybody who wears glasses wants most for everybody to know them by their glasses. Yeah, exactly. Especially because, like, you know. 60% of the population or whatever wears glasses. So I'm glad that that's used to identify me. It really sets me apart. It does. It's true. If the eyes are the window to the soul, the glasses are the window to the window. <laughs> They're the double. Congrats on the perfect vision, Well, um, so I guess we should really bring Gabby into the avatar fold by asking the obligatory question, which of the four elements do you really just, you know, vibe with Gabby? Oh, great question. Water. Mm. Um, I have always been water. Like whenever I've read many as a child, I read many like fantasy things or what, you know, there's always like elemental things. And I always was drawn to water, which makes sense. Cause I feel like I'm a very like emotional person who is, you know, I identify a lot with Katara and um, yeah, it's unexpected, but I feel like if I was like, if I had to choose a different element, I would choose the opposite, which is pretty much, which is fire because I'm also an Aries in all of my three main signs. I'm literally an Aries, sun, moon, and rising, which is like psychotic. So <laughs> I feel like I'm a water at heart, but like, don't mess with me because the fire will come out. Damn. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, oh my God. Uh, we were talking about how like, yeah, when we were kids, like there were so much water, fire and air, like everywhere in fantasy and fiction, like the Avatar didn't like invent using these four things, but it, 
Avatar started when I was in fifth grade, and at the start of fifth, all throughout fifth grade, we had to like write journal entries or whatever. We could say whatever we wanted, but we had to fill a whole piece of paper. I had issues with this my entire childhood, and was a horrible journaler. Uh, and it was I I could it was su such a struggle to fill one of these composition pages for me. But in fifth grade, I started writing a story where me and five of my friends learned how to control a bunch of elements and were like fighting evil people. And then partway through fifth grade, uh, Avatar started airing and like it was fully separate, you know, separate equal plane trains of thought where me, I was coming up with a story like this and Nick Loading was about to air a story that I had never heard about, but they just both happened to deal with the elements. And then like, Somehow one of my friends read my journal and he was like, oh, you're just ripping off Avatar. I was like, no, I, I was coming up with it on my own. And then they <laughs> ripped me off. <laughs> you came up with it first. Oh my yeah. God. Plagiarism. It's if true. anything, I was plagiarizing Dragon Ball Z because there were a lot of elements <laughs> that I lifted more directly from that. Yeah, he was accusing <laughs> you of the wrong plagiarism. That was mm -hmm. this guy's true crime. <laughs> All good artists steal, and I was just stealing the fusion elements, not the element elements. Exactly. Nickelodeon uh, <laughs> owes you money. True. Uh, well, uh, also, I guess another like great question is, Gabby, like, what? How did you come to Avatar: The Last Airbender? Are you a longtime fan? Are you a new time watcher? What What's the deal? Yeah. So I'm a really big fan of the M Night Shyamalan movie, and mm, so perfect. <laughs> Really wanted to see the source material for that masterpiece. <laughs> Hopefully um, it lived up to your expectations that were set by the movie. Yeah, it was like there were some parts that were better, some parts that were worse. Um, <laughs> no, I, I also, um, like Sam was saying, watched it as a kid when it was like actually coming out on Nickelodeon. But um, I never finished it because it was like you had to watch it live. And I don't know, I was a kid, I was doing other things and I never finished it. So I only like recently within the past year during quarantine, actually rewatched from the beginning and finished the series anew as an adult um, with my boyfriend who is more on your guys's level of like super <laughs> fandom, like Avatar Stan. So it was really fun watching with him because he was like a huge fan and would, um, you know, he didn't spoil anything, but he would fill in little gaps if I would get confused because somehow, yes, a children's show still confused me at times because I'm bad with names and things like that. But um, yeah, it was so amazing uh, watching it as an adult. I, I was like surprised at how well it stood up to my memory of it, having watched it as a kid. And and then I just binged and then I binged Cora and and I just love it all. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I like. I've watched rewatched the show multiple times. Like I watched it as it was airing, and then probably like in high school I watched it once, and then in college, and then I think this is my first time since then that I've watched the show. And I like this is my favorite air like uh, go rewatch re of the show that I've ever seen, and just because I feel like I'm so I have such a better understanding of like I don't know I'm just so much more emotionally connected for some reason this time. Whereas before, and I thought that I loved it before, but now I'm like they're just these kids uh. yeah yeah it's interesting to think about things like that because like when you're a kid obviously a lot of media has these like children who are like your age so as a kid or even like a slightly older so you're like oh my gosh like you just really relate to them but then as you get older you start to just like 
really fear for their lives because they're like, you are literally a 10 year old. What are you doing? <laughs> like getting fire blasted in your face. Like it's very dire stuff. These children are going through. They storm an entire castle against grown men in this very episode. It's And they yeah. beat him to a pulp. They do. Yes. They, <laughs> they have like, one of mine and my boyfriend's favorite thing to do is we like make up an imaginary death count for the episode because it's supposed to be this like children's animation and and we'll be like dead dead that person's dead that person's decapitated that person lost their limbs and like this episode that we watched um had a lot of i'm assuming deaths so you know these 11 year olds have body count kill counts of like in the hundreds at least all in the name of saving the world, though. And from Aang, who is, you know, a self-proclaimed pacifist. <laughs> right. There was a point in the assault on the palace where Toph flipped over a bunch of rocks, like tiles onto the, their other side, trapping like 20 dudes. Legs, <laughs> like rocks were crushing their legs. Like there's no way that any of those guys were ever going to walk again. Yeah, you just got to think about like this like society definitely does not have modern medicine. And it's like, sure, if you're in the water tribe, you got waterbenders who can use their little water magic to heal you. But Earth Kingdom, got to imagine that's kind of just a death sentence at that point. Or like you said, probably a loss of limb. But, yeah. you know, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> well, And the Earth Kingdom doesn't seem particularly accessible. Like there are a lot of stairs. So, you know, if anybody loses limb... They need to work on some more like ramps in the Earth Kingdom. There's a lot of, it's not very accessible for those people, those hundreds of guards who now yeah. have no access to their legs. It's true. Well, it's helpful that uh, Aang and Toph invented the elevator in the same fight. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they made sure to note that as they were tumbling down, breaking a lot of their bones. They're like, you know, <laughs> after all this is over, we should really like look into that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so obviously this episode is kind of like a flip of what your usual sort of episode structure would be, where it's like you get this huge action sequence in the first act, and then like the second two acts are kind of these like sort of like demi or like I don't know how to explain it. Like the action goes down rather than up throughout the episode. Um, obviously, the ending is very dramatic and cliffhanger in a lot of ways, but they're cliffhangers on like a very like personal and political level, not like, oh shit, something like big and dramatic just happened. Um, yeah, they do all the investigation stuff or like the socially ver like adventurous parts of the show at the end, like you said, as opposed to like, I don't know, that's usually where they're like getting to the village and like, uh oh, what this is what I expected it to be, but they did that in the second part. So. It's true. Talk about a format change. We've I feel like that's been a running theme for the last part of this book is just like shaking it up. Why not? I guess they have to since they're in the same place the entire time. True. Uh yeah, so um yeah, we get this big action sequence, lots of people probably dead, like we said. It's fine, whatever. Um, but also I do love like the, uh, there's always time for comedy in Avatar, which is something I think we all can appreciate. Um, I love Sokka peeking in on the lady. I always love a good, like, little quick gag like that. Um, yeah. Them good constantly thing. having to say, there's them saying sorry over and over. Yeah. They, like, clear <laughs> the waves. is so good. Yes, relatable. Katara's, like, again, injuring hundreds and going, sorry. It's it's very cute and relatable. <laughs> it <laughs> is. I've never done that. 
not relatable, but relatable to over apologizing. Um, even when you're doing the right thing, yeah, they were all they were all great this episode, and I I also loved Sokka's um, optimism. That was sort of stick <laughs> for the episode. It's like, oh, I like this optimistic Sokka. Okay, right. I love yeah. that at the end of the episode, Sokka is schooling Aang on being optimistic, which I I just love. Like, it's not really played in that like as like please pay attention to the fact that this is happening right now. But it's it's just funny to think about knowing these characters and really paying attention to them. You're like, this something wacky is about to happen. And then wacky things do happen. The universe shifted in some way when Sokka decided to be positive. <laughs> I believe in the power of positive thinking and I think Sokka's starting to as well. It's, I mean, it immediately bites him in the ass because we get like three different really dramatic bad things happening after he says it, but you know. He doesn't know those things. True. <laughs> uh, I'll, stop. I'll believe in the power of negative thinking then. So there you go. The expectations low, and then you can't get disappointed. Yeah, I think that's that was. The, I, mm -hmm. I think that's the true moral of this episode: is don't don't get tricked. You should don't always never get your hopes up. Don't be hopeful. Hope is for schmucks. Don't exactly. try. It'll never work. <laughs> it's true. Um, well, one more season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, I feel like another th uh, thing. I guess I always forget about this episode. Is this is the episode where Zuko's like literally physically ill from doing the right thing? Which you know, speaking of relatable, it's like Zuko is me. Whenever I like make a positive change in my life, I'm instantly so exhausted. Like it's <laughs> draining. Like oh my god, I can't believe I just did that. So definitely yeah, relatable. and. It doesn't really seem like he thinks that it is a good idea yet. <laughs> like he's still <laughs> dealing with these. Like, I he's just he's uh, in the last episode he freed Appa and like didn't take him captive. And he, in this episode, he's sort of figuring out if he even agrees with what he did and like coming to terms with the fact that he's not who he thought he was, which is like huge heady stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very metaphorical, and he's like literally sweating out his his sins or whatever. But um, seeing the turmoil within him, I guess, makes a lot of sense for sort of like the remainder of his art because there's still a whole season left, and lots of things are going to happen. And um, yeah, and and we have some crazy fever dreams too <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that this episode i feel like this is the first well we've had, we've had like dream sequences before i guess but i like when they do dreams they're very surreal and like terrifying in a lot of ways like especially like imagining like a small child watching this episode with these like huge dragons like to, <laughs> like telling zuko to make a huge moral decision within himself and like People are crumbling in front of Zuko. He's being sucked into black holes. It's very intense stuff for him. I was always really struck by that the dragons refer to each other as dragons, even though we are clearly recognizing that it's Azula's voice and Iroh's voice. But they're like, he's like, don't listen to the blue dragon. And it's just, if that sticks with me, because you know, I would just expect it to like still be Azula, even though it's like dream represented as this evil creature. Right. Which I love that decision to like just straight up use the voices of these two characters we know. Because I feel like you could just do like a scary voice for either. But the fact that we know who's speaking, but they don't even like, like you said, they don't even reference it. Uh, it's just like 
we are left to assume that like Zuko is hearing these voices from these dragons because that's who he associates with like each side of the coin is Iroh and Azula. And once again, blue representing like the bad things for Zuko in a lot of ways, like the blue spirit, uh, Azula's blue flames. Um, just love. Oh, I yeah, I picked up on that. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had never made the connection before either that like the blue spirit and the blue dragon and the blue mask and all the blue fire, like all that stuff came together for me in this episode too. Right. Yeah. It's great. This show just uses like color and like really great ways. Like obviously you get the color from like all the nations having their own sort of color scheme, but then you get like little hints here, uh, which are great. It's like the show is like teaching you to associate certain colors with certain things. Like, in a way that it's like we have associations in the real world with the color blue, but the show is teaching you that blue means something maybe more specific in their fictional world, or at least for the characters, which is like a really cool approach to symbolism that I love. That was so designery of you. I, I love it. <laughs> but I think that totally that totally makes sense. And and one more thing I'll say about the that dream sequence with the dragons too is I think on my first watch through. Well, I don't want to get too spoilery, but on my first walkthrough, like I was thinking, this is it. Like he's good now. He's sweating out all the bad. And on later watch throughs, I was like, oh, he's actually really struggling, which like we just talked about, it's like he's hearing the two voices and it it's a lot more like undetermined than I guess I initially thought, which I think is perfect because there's so much more characterization of Zuko to come and um, this is sort of like his first big battle of a decision that he made on his own that he's now grappling with and I kind of like that it's not just like an instant good or bad thing like it's very drawn out and dramatic yeah I completely agree because like even in like in the dream that we're seeing like he has become the Fire Lord and he doesn't have a scar. Like, which when I first saw this, like I almost didn't even recognize him because he doesn't look anything like he does with like long hair and without the like iconic scar. But like in the past, we've talked about like his scar as a representative of his like past traumas and stuff and like having it melt away and having him ascend to be this like, evil force in the world in in the way that he's envisioning himself in front of all these soldiers and stuff like it's not his dream isn't like him joining team avatar and like being a good guy it's like he's still thinking about being this evil thing and the only thing in the dream against that is the red dragon and seeing his mom yeah um i think it's uh, interesting i noted this last episode and it came up again this episode iroh calls zuko prince like a lot whenever he's like trying to really connect to him and i'm always like curious because i feel like iroh in a lot of ways wants zuko to look beyond like his lineage or like stop thinking about like his, like what he should be but i feel like prince mate when iroh's calling him prince he's trying to really make zuko see that he is like that is his true calling but like he wants to change the way Zuko thinks about what being the prince actually means. Cause to Zuko being fire prince probably means doing what his dad says and like continuing on this legacy that has been set up for him. Whereas I think Iroh wants Zuko to see that he is still a prince, but he doesn't have to carry all that shit 
specifically the imperialism and death that the Fire Nation has been doing for a hundred years. Um, I just think that's a really interesting thing for Iroh to just like, even when they're like, even like they're literally banished from the Fire Nation, um, he still calls Zuko Prince, which is interesting. Yeah, and when you, you think about like in his dad's vision of the future, when he has a son, like he hopes that his son is the ruler of the world because he's like, I'm going to finish conquering the world and then my children will rule over it forever. Right. And I was um, like, maybe we don't have to do that. Yeah, maybe princes can be good. <laughs> That's what Iroh wants Zuko to think. Uh, just something I thought was interesting. But uh, obviously, uh, like Gabby was saying, it's like when you're watching this, especially like as it was airing, of course, you like your kid brain is like, yay, he's like you said, he's good now. Finally, we did it. But like, there's really no definitive answer. And like, by the end of it, Zuko seems still very rattled by what's happening and kind of like, doesn't seem into it. Like you think maybe as you're watching the episode, you're thinking it's going to end with him being like, ah, I've been through this and now I am ready to keep being good. But at the end, he sees like a kind of like scare. It literally startles him to see himself as Aang, basically. Um, and so it's like, we really don't know where his head is at by the end of the episode, um, which is an interesting choice on the part of the show to like not provide you just an easy answer for what Zuko is thinking. Like we don't get to hear in his words where his head is at right now. Yeah. I, I, I also love the part where he um, saw himself as like the avatar slash, like also didn't have a scar and all those symbolic things. And like you said, didn't seem into it. It's almost just like the idea of being good, which especially like the most pure form of good, like the avatar was just like unappealing to him and scary where it's like, which I get it's, it's not only that he's like trying to shed or sweat out the bad parts of himself, but he's not even like turning neutral. It's like, he's scared of becoming the thing that for years he's been hunting and searching. So like, the avatar can't possibly be good because why would my father and me have been searching for this and guy forever? So it's like the, the epitome of what he doesn't want to become is like very good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. Cause it's like, it easily could have just been, he sees himself without a scar and like, that's the dream, but it's the fact that it's, he has the arrow and is supposed to look like Aang is like very notable. Um, and it's, but I've, I've, the fact that he also doesn't have a scar is like really interesting because it's, then you start to think like, does Zuko want to get rid of his scar actually? Like, or does he like, is it become such a big part of who he is now that it's like, he doesn't want to let go of what the scar represents. Um, it's I think at this time he like, it, cause in both of his envisioned futures or sideways selves to use lost terminology like <laughs> when he sees himself as Aang and when he sees himself as the fire lord in both of these situations he doesn't have the scar mm -hmm. that's true yeah, yeah. Um, man poor zuko that's just like <laughs> the, <laughs> the takeaway from every zuko storyline is like ugh, poor poor 16 year old child who is going through all of this at least he has iroh there to like bring him tea and you know I be awesome I wanted to bring in Iroh because I like he Zuko either compares himself to Aang or to his father, and I like we he never really we never really get the imagery of 
like maybe Zuko will grow up to be like Iroh. Like we never really get like he never gets to played as like potentially like the goofy uncle eventually or whatever. He's just <laughs> always gonna be like one of these serious figures of the world. Interesting, yeah. I wonder what that's like is like what does that say about what how zuko sees iroh um like obviously he sees him as like a mentor made like but like iroh sees zuko as like another son basically but i don't think zuko's ever really said he sees iroh as a father um so it's interesting that zuko maybe just can't conceptualize the idea of like becoming like iroh in the future well, well i think it's because like up, like Zuko is still holding on to some hope that he can redeem his honor and go back to his dad, whereas like Iroh has lost his son, so like yeah. he's not like looking to he is not yet looking to replace his dad, but Iroh can never get his son back. Yeah, he sort of like accepted accepted his his new life and what his new destiny. I think they talked about destiny in this episode. It's like, is it your destiny or is it the destiny people have made for you? And Iroh has accepted this new destiny where he's no longer this like top general and next in line. And he has lost his son and he is just like chilling in the tea shop now. And I think the two really function not to like, you know, uh, bring my five-year-old English degree into this, but they're like very <laughs> much foils of one another. So I think it totally makes sense what you were saying, Derek, that, um, Zuko and Iroh, that is, that, like, he's not really becoming him because they are so different. They are, like, these contrasts of each other. And um, I think that it's it's nice to have a contrast and not just, like, um, you know, a, a mini-me that's going to turn into, like, the exact replica of of his uncle. Right. Yeah, that's a interesting... Yeah, I like that idea because it's, like, um, Zuko can... Even though, like, Zuko and his father obviously have a lot of bad things between them it's like zuko can probably still part see parts of himself in his father whereas iroh is so different from the entire family that like zuko just can't see himself ever becoming like that um yeah and a, fo a foil is a good way to think about those characters but you like usually a foil is like you think they're at odds with each other and i mean at, sometimes they are but it's like a still a positive relationship that they have together it's just they're trying to grow together. At least Iroh's trying to help Zuko grow in a way. Um, Iroh doesn't have much growing left to do, it seems like, at least. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if this is intentional, but I feel like Aang is the closest energy-wise to Iroh, where, like, Aang is one of the wisest characters on the show, but he's also, like, a very goofy guy. And, like, I don't know, there's so, there's so many interesting different parallels and, like, connections we could make between Aang and Zuko. But I do feel like Aang, and Aang is very deeply similar to Iroh as far as, like, actually being a character goes. Yeah. For sure. We love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we get that whole storyline with Zuko. Um, very, we'll be very interested to see where that goes. Um, I feel like that's, like, kind of a theme of this, this part, uh, episode. feels a lot almost like a part one for the finale in a lot of ways. Um, at least like the second half, it's like we're setting up a lot of future events, um, which is uh, not like, um, which includes, of course, the return of the Dangerous Ladies. Um, yeah. Plot twist, which 
I love that we get this like great parallel between the first time we really see Azula is um, when she's like kneeling in front of her father at the end of book one and like raises her head. We get almost the exact same shot here uh, with the Earth King, um, which I, I like that. These little bookends. Yeah. And like, I, you almost kind of forget that in Appa's last days, like we saw, the last time we saw the Koshi Warriors or Azula and her group is that like they were in a fight. And so we now are hearing the Kyoshi Warriors are in town and they're like here to protect the Earth King. And but like Azula's voice is like so chilling and iconic in that moment because you just like you obviously automatically recognize that it is this. I mean, if any, if you're watching this episode by itself, you at least recognize that it is the same voice as the blue dragon from earlier. And but like it's just she's just a chilling performance by Grey Delisle that like it just is the worst thing that you could possibly hear at this time. <laughs> yes the last voice you want to hear and you hear her little theme song too just to like really like drive home the point that yep, Azula's here. I love. oh wow here. yeah like we said don't be hopeful hope <laughs> is worthless all your dreams will be dashed it's true <laughs> yeah that's when you had hope that the kyoshi warriors were in town like no it's uh it is not them it's the exact opposite the most horrible <laughs> people you could ever want to be there um, and I love that, yeah, like Sokka is like 100% vouching. He's like, yep, whoever they are, if they're in makeup, it's you got the right gals and you should listen to everything they have to say. Yeah, like and, we won't take the extra two hours to meet them and say hi, even though <laughs> we're in town together. Like we're just going to be on our way, but definitely trust them 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we have a bison, but we need to leave now. <laughs> um, but like, and now we also know that there are at least three Kyoshi warriors running around without their garb. We don't know what happened to them. They they yeah. stole it from them. I know that's that's tough. Or maybe they like, for all we know, hey, maybe they befriended the Kyoshi warriors and the Kyoshi warriors taught them their ways, and they're here genuinely to just you know help out the Earth King. They're like, this is our first mission as good guys on the Kyoshi warrior side. With that kind of optimism, you would be a great companion of the Earthquake. Earth <laughs> <laughs> optimism yeah. slash naivete. <laughs> yeah. It's no spoilers here. We we literally don't know. This could just be the happiest show on Earth for the next 20 plus episodes. We have no way of knowing. <laughs> that would be nice. But the, you talk about how this episode is like a lot of setup for the finale, basically, and I, totally, I completely agree. That, that scene where the general who he's like here's the box of what is gonna happen in the next couple episodes here's a scroll here's a scroll here's another scroll right yeah right. it's a great it's a i mean it makes a lot of sense i like because it really plays into this idea of long fang is like this like george orwell like 1984 sort of like figure who's like controlling all the information so it makes sense that he has like the stockpile of stuff that would have helped the this group along the way but he's just been holding it. So it's like a very convenient sort of box of future plot, like we said, that he can present to them. It is. I, and I feel like I've perhaps correctly gotten a, uh, what's the word, reputation for sort of drilling in on a plot hole or like something that doesn't make sense. But this <laughs> is, I can't abide this general guy there's apparently five generals that the earth king meets with or whatever why didn't he ever talk about the war <laughs> why doesn't why, why is there why is it what, what there needs to be some kind of explanation like he maybe he was locked up or maybe he was brainwashed or something but 
he's just there and he's like, okay, now we can, now that Longfang has been deposed, now we can talk about the war with the Earth King. You're evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I never thought about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, I'm thinking of real world examples of people who are just like 100% willing to go along with whatever the current power dynamic is. You know, seems, I mean, I get it. I, but like, we shouldn't be trusting this guy either. <laughs> right. I mean, in real life, we shouldn't be trusting these people who are like, 100% backing the evil dude and then as soon as the evil dude's out of power they're like okay now I'm good guys I swear it just right. every time like something happens in a show now that seems ridiculous to me I just think about our current political climate I'm like <laughs> you know actually people do act that way and it's really terrifying in the real world too <laughs> yeah it's not that un, un, um, unrealistic yeah, to be just an Sadly. opportunistic, yeah, flip-floppy asshole. Yeah, I've watched That's this fair. show for escapism, and instead what I got was a parallel to our current political climate in a children's cartoon. Come on! Yeah. <laughs> I just want to imagine d horribly dismembering people with water whips. That's all I want this show to do for me. <laughs> I was surprised that, I mean, Katara did a lot of great job, a lot of stuff with the water whips in this assault. I expected more, honestly, from <laughs> what I've come to know from her in this season. Like, she's done so much more. She had that big moat to work with, and I just felt like yeah. she didn't use it to her best potential. Yeah, that is one of the things I, I always laugh at at this show. I'm like, there is water right next to you. Are you not a waterbender? You are at the lake. They're like, oh, no, we're surrounded on all sides by Earth, except for this one side that is entirely a lake, which I have complete control over. And then she still will reach for the stuff in her pouch. I know. I know. She's like, I just need this little sliver of water to give me a little ice boost. I'm like, there is an, oh, an entire moat. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's still my queen, though. <laughs> Entirely. I don't question her. I just want to offer suggestions. It's she had true. to let the others shine for an episode. It's true. Yeah, we are in book two Earth. Like, we got to get some Earth bending going here, you know? It's only fair. Oh, which also, speaking of shining, I, I had forgotten that this was the episode. Is it the first episode where Toph shows that she can detect lying? Uh, by, or does she do it earlier? That was, yeah, in last episode, that was, like, um, her using lie detecting oh. on Jet and stuff. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I was confusing the two because I watched a few in a row. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I was As like, wow, everyone's powers are really, like, coming to a T here. So, never right. mind. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting she didn't really <laughs> use that in this. She could have just told the Earth King, she's like, yep, I can actually detect lies, and I can tell you for a fact Long Fang is lying, but... um. Maybe right. that would have could have done some mind reading or something. She could have been like, "What number are you thinking?" Or what? I don't know if she can do that. <laughs> or, I don't know if that makes sense uh, now that I'm saying it out loud. Well, she could actually probably see like how many fingers he's holding up behind his back. I don't know how that would prove she knows how he's lying, but like, it could be a start. There could have been a whole different direction they took, but I mean, it seemed pretty efficient to just point out that Abba's teeth look a lot like this gigantic bite mark on his leg. That see that did the trick pretty quickly. Yeah, that was a hilarious scene. Um, yeah. <laughs> the was hilarious in that. Yeah, I mean, I love them yeah. going back and forth between like 
I'll go with you there. And they're like, yeah. And then they're like, but this doesn't prove everything. They're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's worth looking into. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> great, the great like ad-libbed like medium reaction is such a great little joke. That was <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, They're like yeah, okay, that works. <laughs> so cute. And yeah, it's like uh, it's so hard to remember a world where Appa isn't just in on the screen most of the time. It's just so comforting to have the, uh, this big boy just always there in the background where he belongs. It does feel like since he's come back, they and I know this is only the last like two episodes we've watched. I feel like they're having him do more. Like I feel like in before he was taken away, he was like that he would just be in the background and not really do a whole bunch unless it was like a one-off joke or whatever. But I feel like they are aware of like him now as opposed to just having him be their ride. It's true, and he has like renewed. Uh anger or something now like he's he's oppa's got a fight in him he doesn't want to be away from his uh his person anymore and like i didn't know he could break giant boulders or whatever with his head and like all these things that he's been doing i'm like where has that been okay oppa <laughs> i'm in like prison really like brought the fire out of him <laughs> <laughs> yeah that circus really <laughs> changed <laughs> Yeah, he's very accurate, which I appreciate. I mean, and also Appa like is like what convinces the Earth King to keep like going along with the gang. Like he only agrees to go out to the outer wall because it means he gets to ride on Appa. So Appa proving his worth in a lot of ways here. And he only started he only started investigating because of Appa's tooth mark. Mm -hmm. Character. I was laughing that um, speaking of like stupid plot holes that you shouldn't be poking at in a children's show. But it's like, Earthling is like, how can I know if I can trust you? And they're like, I don't know, just hop on our flying bison and you can definitely trust that we won't kidnap you or like plunge you to your death. It's, he's just like willingly, he doesn't trust them, but he'll willingly jump on their giant flying monster. Right. I love that like these kids can just be very close to this literal monarch as like they could just like walk up to him whenever they want, talk to him, interact with him. It's like it's hard to imagine like in the real world, like just complete strangers allowed to just walk up to this like head of state and just whatever. Let's just go somewhere. Let's go to a second location, a third location. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, I do love that the Earth King is so out of the loop that he thinks that Sokka, who is dressed in Water Nation stuff, like is the Avatar, even though it's it's an, like how does he doesn't even know who the Avatar is at this time, which is so was like a good a good like interesting thing. But and then they don't even they there's so many things I want to talk about in this show where like a line of dialogue means something, but the show doesn't hit on it in the way that I like think that they want to or like they don't spend enough time on it that I like think it's a conscious choice but I think that's a very interesting thing to have happen right I mean he we get the scene of him on the train where he's like so baffled and he keeps saying things like the Earth King has never been in this part of the of bossing say like I've never seen the outer wall which is just like an insane sort of idea of like this person rules the entire Earth Kingdom and he's not seen even the outside of his the city that he lives in um so I would, I think that's supposed to be intentional. The line of like, oh, you're the avatar, but like, like you said, yeah. it's like they don't really like drive into it. Like, I just meant that just one it. specific thing because, like, mm -hmm. you would think you would, I don't know, you would think you would know at least that it is an air nomad, whether or not it's like, I don't know. Um, 
but I, I, I'm saying I like that idea. I, I'm not critiquing it. Okay. <laughs> you may not yeah. critique the show. No. Yeah, he's weird. been in like a time capsule almost, and 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 there are little like nuggets of all these things that he's been left out on that are that are subtle. Honestly, I don't, I don't even remember that line. So obviously, it was subtle enough for me to have not clocked it but contributes to the like world building of like this guy's been in his ivory tower and has no clue what is going on right and i love that sort of um approach to this character it's like not what you would expect i guess he's like a grown man obviously but he's like acts very childlike in a lot of ways and he's like but not in like a mean way it's not like a i don't know king joffrey situation where he's just like a dick <laughs> he's just like hey whatever i'm game for anything i just want to get out of here i hate being cooped up like this it's a great sort of contrast to this long fang figure who's like so serious and like still i love that long fang the entire time is still just trying to hold on and like he never resorts to violence at any point in the episode he's like sticking to just as like i just need to convince the earth king to keep listening to me it's great. Yeah, I think that the Earth King is a very interesting character too, and I would like to uh, take you away now to a five-year-old English essay that I am thinking of now, where I feel like we this whole season has been about neutral jing and like allowing stuff to happen and waiting for the correct time, and I feel like the Earth King is the embodiment of that gone wrong, where he is so ready to allow things to happen to him that he doesn't have any idea about what's going on and what finally brings him to like officially be on the good side is Sokka's argument that he needs to give himself a fighting give the world a fighting chance by going on the offensive and like do positive jing which is this concept that they barely talk about directly but is now like something that I think about all the time while like like he's he's like go he's like you should need to fight as opposed to just like waiting and see what happens. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about. It. I feel like the entire Earth Kingdom is kind of presented. I mean, like that's what uh, Boomy said. It was like Earth is about neutral gin, and so like the Earth Kingdom in a lot of ways throughout the season is very much like the neutral gin. Like there, like a lot of fighting is going on on the like actual soil of the Earth Kingdom, but as a nation, it's not really fighting back in a lot of ways. It's just kind of there but like you said it's like the negative kind where it's just like they're stuck in this stalemate not by like the kingdom's choice like clearly there's people like jet and the freedom fighters who want to fight back but it's just this one figure long thing who makes sure that that can't happen for his own selfish reasons again feels very apt for our current <laughs> uh, lives love it so depressing <laughs> uh yeah so um I don't know. Any other, I guess, thoughts on this episode before we like really dive deep into like where this leads in like the immediate future and future episodes? Because, um, like we said, this is like a big setup episode. Oh, I'm getting. Well, I I know I did. I guess I just have one more thing I want to bring up because okay. like we and we we know the Earth King. We've now met him. He is a real guy who is a monarch of the nation. And we just talked about King Boomy, who is the king of a city state in the Earth Kingdom. And I just wanted to think about what the governmental relations between the two are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. It's like, they couldn't they have called him like 
counselor boomy or like mayor boomy i don't know but it's like it kind of plays into this idea of like the earth kingdom is like four times bigger than like the next largest nation and it's like they're just so completely like divided and separate from each other in a lot of ways especially in this world where like news can't travel fast uh so it, it, it's it, but it does kind of feel like maybe they like were like yeah here's a king uh, like early on and then like as the show sort of started developing they're like oh shit we need to have like an actual king for the entire place <laughs> i guess since we called it the earth kingdom but yeah yeah I, well yeah and then there's like the the what is leif fong's like actual role like um, it's like chancellor almost it's like the cultural but but just in terms of this government like there's a lot of there's a lot of arms here <laughs> that are <laughs> reaching in their different areas like i just played secret hitler last night and it sort of reminds me of that it's like there's the president and then there's the chancellor and then <laughs> do these things right except in this i feel like the secret like uh fascist is not so secret it's just it's it's long thing there he is we found him right there yeah <laughs> he did pretty immediately reveal himself as the puppet master of the secret police <laughs> right to the heroes Right. children yeah and i want to i don't have any issue with both of them being kings they are uh you know incredible kings short kings tall kings all around <laughs> but i i do think i i definitely agree with eric that it like speaks to the disorganization of this gigantic nation that has no way to communicate with one another and to like to your point we i guess i never really thought about it until this viewing of the show but we don't really see an earth army of any kind up to this point like we don't see them fighting back like at all basically on any front other than the water tribe right it's like we get references like um lee the like little farm kid that zuko meets references like right. his older brother going off and fighting in the war but we don't see like soldiers like you said we see a lot of like king's guards like boomy has his own king's guards who are like dressed a certain way and then you have um the key like the king's guards of the earth king but you also have the Dai Li. it's like like we said there's just like all these different organizations um and we don't i guess we've seen like uh i'm thinking of like those dudes that captured ira way back in book one with their like dome helmets i'm like true that's what all the earth kingdom soldiers look like but it's like who's leading them who are like i don't know yeah i just feel like i've seen so many more fire nation like so many fire nation soldiers out and around just like walking through the earth kingdom without anyone interrupting them like and i've never seen earth nation soldier right yeah they're too busy kidnapping half naked old men and doing whatever <laughs> i don't, don't remember what happened in that episode but <laughs> they uh, saw a dragon they, they saw spirit dragon well they didn't see it at least one person did um yeah, so is that the uh, end of our spoiler-free content before we kind of dive in? Good, good to move on. Okay, Gabby, tell the people where to find you in case they are about to dip out because they don't want to be spoiled. Yes, um, I'm on Twitter at Gabby Pascuzzi, and that's pretty much all I care about. <laughs> Twitter, so. I mean, I... At my I'm, home on Twitter. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Instagram stories. Honestly, we get lots of boyfriend content, which we love. Yeah, true. If you want to see said boyfriend who is the avatar Stan and much funnier than me, I am on Instagram <laughs> at Gabs Juicy. 
I just always feel weird about promoting Instagram because like I don't try to do anything on Instagram <laughs> and it like makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> at least on Twitter, like, you know, I can get my quick little hot takes in. So at right. least I feel like people who want a sense of my personality, go to my Twitter. If you want like boyfriend content, then go to Instagram. <laughs> Which um, which one is more jarring to see a picture of yourself as an avatar talking to you on Twitter or on Instagram? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely on Instagram when it's like they some slight variation on my name and it's like Gabby Pascuzzi, but the Pascuzzi is spelled wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to report this like 12 year old child, but this is really <laughs> strange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that child is probably me. It's probably just trying to be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm glad I did not have Instagram or whatever when I was of that age because right. I would have, I, I was bad enough on Neopets. So I, <laughs> I really had to know like what I was up to on Neopets. <laughs> okay. Now I'm very curious about the Neopets. Yeah, I'll have to find out the username. <laughs> oh man um well uh you can find me at ray dirks on uh twitter and you can find us at bitter Jurors pod on both twitter and instagram no boyfriend you content on the instagram sadly um you'll have to go to gabby's for that <laughs> uh i'm at sam stanish on instagram and twitter uh limited and interspersed boyfriend content on both i guess uh, <laughs> and uh, you can follow my other podcast, Word on the Straits, at Word on the Straits, STR8S on Instagram and Twitter. We release new episodes every Thursday. We talk about street culture. And I just started releasing, um, I'm going to try to release a journal entry on Substack every single day this year, uh, com. I don't really know why I decided to do this, but I decided to a couple days ago. <laughs> Yay. No, that's great. Oh yeah, that's the positive gen right there. Just going for it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> okay, uh, so now is when we can really talk about uh, the this episode in terms of like where it leads. Uh, at least I feel like we can. There's a lot to speak about in terms of where it immediately leads because obviously we get the Kyoshi Warriors slash Dangerous Ladies are now here, and that's about to like fuck up everything that's been going on, which is fun. Um, and I, we kind of hinted at this idea, but like Zuko's transformation, his metamorphosis, as Iroh says, he must be a big Hillary Duff fan to use that word. Um, <laughs> but uh, apparently Zuko, the the dream sequence was a lot scarier than it may have seemed because it, he, it doesn't take at least immediately, which, you know, poor Zuko again, part two. I mean, plus like they're, they're so... He, it, like we talked about with his scar disappearing like in the future like in the next episode we get the hint that like potentially Katara could take away his scar like with healing magic which you know isn't like a very good character option I don't think it's a very interesting route for his like growth as a person or his arc but it's a, something that he very much wants to have happen it's true um, cause in a lot of ways, Zuko's scar like represents the bad thing that his dad did to him. And so he wants to pretend like that didn't happen or pretend like it doesn't matter. Um, but obviously Zuko learns to accept his scar and accept what it like means for him, which is that he was completely rejected by his father and he's ready to do the same to reject his father right back and say, no, actually I'm not 
going to be a horrible fascist dictator. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think you're right um, that it's become a part of his identity, though, where as much as it represents his trauma, it's like it's hard to tease apart things that have happened to you and then like the person you have become as a result of those things. It's very hard to tease apart your identity from things that have happened to you. So it makes sense that he is kind of holding on to it as much as he claims to not want to wear this scar. It would represent this change again, like we were saying earlier, um, what, who would he be if he were suddenly quote unquote good? Also like nobody thinks of themselves as evil. So like, he's not thinking, Oh, I'm evil and I'm going to turn good. I was just using that as shorthand, but what would it mean for him to basically admit that these past several years of his life, like trying to please his father and trying to catch the avatar were maybe not what he should have been doing. It, it takes a very big person to admit that um, they were wrong, like very, very wrong. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we obviously as like outside viewers and like people who consume media can say like, this is the good person and this is the bad person. But like you said, the characters themselves within the world don't think of themselves in that way. So like, obviously, like you said, Zuko's not going to be thinking like I should become good now. Um, so it is, it makes sense that he fault, like his steps falter and he like goes back because we have no reason to like believe like that he would think that he wants something different than what he's wanted this entire time. Like, of course he's, he sees this one big final opportunity to have this thing. Of course he's going to take it. Like just because he want, made one different decision doesn't mean that he's just like giving that up immediately. Yeah. And it is hard to like separate what's happened to you from who you've become because of those things. Like, we were talking about at the beginning with my glasses. Like I could go get LASIK, but then who would I be? Like I, that's such an interesting part of who I am. It is. It's a defining trait. Uh, but it's funny. I feel like we've talked about Zuko Korra like parallels before, and I, that's just kind of another one. This idea of like Korra is like unwilling to let go of the final bits of poison in her body in Book Four is very like a very similar sort of idea to Zuko's scar. Like they aren't ready to let go of that part of themselves obviously for core it's a little different because that she does want to get rid of that thing and she should get rid of that thing uh but for zuko it's like a much less physical manifestation he has to like learn to accept what happened to him and let it be a part of himself yeah good good comparison yeah we love i forget when we were talking about that but it's it's a great sort of, and it's like, I don't know if the creators have ever talked about this idea of Zuko and Korra being kind of uh, very similar to each other, but I mean, they do meet in Korra at one point. Um, who knows? Who knows where their heads are at? <laughs> Intriguing. Yes, we should, well, we'll just get them on the phone. Like, that's just going to be <laughs> finale. We're getting Brian and Mike on, down here, and we're really going to. I'm working on yeah, it. I'm working on, on it. Um, <laughs> I I mean yeah I I mean I think that they it's the the way that they did fan service in Korra is so bizarre to me like they 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 kept Zuko for so long from and then had him do almost nothing in the show but they used his voice actor like this million I don't want to get into Korra right now but uh <laughs> I don't have I don't I, I'm sorry I just I didn't 
I didn't want to, I don't I guess I'm just like talking now because I can't think of something else to say. <laughs> In there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, is there anything else in this episode that really like speaks to anything that's like, I guess, happening in book three? Obviously we talked about Zuko's big decision, but that's, I mean, kind of a bigger sort of deal. Um, but I mean, uh, we all did also hear Iroh's second voice actor again in this episode. I forgot that we get just that one line uh, from his other voice actor here. I did not realize um, what line is that. Um, it's like something about you need to get your rest. It's like during um, one of those scenes with Zuko where he Zuko's like laid out on the floor. Um, yeah, so. I, I do still feel like we're in very good hair territory for Zuko. Like he's <laughs> looking good on the floor, drinking the water from the bucket. And, uh, you know, it's easy. It can't, you know, not every length of hair looks good on everyone. And Zuko has made it through some tough times. I love how dramatic like that his water drinking was. Like it was so like teenage angst. He's like, here, have a sip from the spoon. He's like, no, I'm gonna drink from the entire bucket and he's like, <laughs> the entire thing. That's when you should have known, like, oh, this isn't gonna take. <laughs> he's still too hangry inside. <laughs> That's our Zuko. Yep. He just has to take the whole thing. Poor guy. I mean, was that a ladle that Hiro gave him what was yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> I don't understand it. Like it throws me off every time. I would refuse the ladle too. I'd be like, uh, nope. I'm just gonna drink water like a normal person, please. <laughs> Can I have a? Straw? I've always used cups. <laughs> We've always had cups before. Why are you now giving me this ladle? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it was a busy day at the tea. The whole time Ira was also running the tea shop. So he's like using a lot of dishes downstairs, like coming back up. He's like, oh shit, the ladle will have to do for my bucket. Yeah, a bucket. He brings up just the saucer that has, and it's filled with water at one point. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's a whole just like C plot that we missed from this episode where Iroh's like goofily trying to run a tea shop and take care of his nephew who's going through horrible spiritual turmoil upstairs. This will be great in the live action version. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they can finally execute their true vision of this episode there. The farce. <laughs> yes. The farce that was missing from this episode. Uh, absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, any other, I guess, thoughts before we uh, sign off for the last time? Before we go into our two-part finale? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Guru Patik. Uh, yeah. and I and I like that I we didn't really talk about like this moment, but I like that like well we didn't even really talk about Aang and Katara, like Aang almost admitting that he has feelings for yeah. her. And like uh like the girls are waiting for us thing and like the smooch on the cheek. I guess we all we kind of forgot about that stuff. Uh but that obviously we can, I guess we could talk about that next week more, I guess. Right. Gabby, are you a Katang person or are you a Zutara person? Um, it's gotta be Zutara because I've always liked like problematic pairings. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a lot of my like Harry Potter fanfics too, where like people that definitely should not have been together, but I was rooting for, like Draco Hermione or Draco and Harry or like any Ooh. combination of problematic people. <laughs> so yeah, I've I've always gotten like the friend zone vibe from um Aang and Katara. So like the kiss on the cheek instead of it just makes me cringe, but whatever. <laughs> I'm I I like got over it by Cora because I kind of had to accept it, but <laughs> I was not pleased with it. Yeah. Um 
it's a, I agree. We like a genuine sh- sign of affection between two people who are in a good place together. Boring. No, we need some <laughs> drama here. Come on. <laughs> sure that speaks nothing of our own personal uh, <laughs> relationship baggage <laughs> issues where we're like, don't want the healthy stuff. Come on, bring on the dreries. We need those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh well I, on that amazing note gabby do you want to remind people where hopefully they can maybe find some more dreary content <laughs> yeah um at gabby pascuzzi on twitter at gabscuzzi on instagram thank you guys so much for having me it was so fun i have never like talked about the show in a, a deeper way than more than just with my said boyfriend. <laughs> so it was like really fun to hear your analyses and it, yeah, it was awesome. And I am now probably going to go binge the rest of the show <laughs> after the episode that I rewatch for this podcast. Nice. Perfect. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, glad we could provide that for you uh, <laughs> and for our bitter duties. That's what we're here to do. Make you just like spend more time just rewatching the show over and over analyzing it because what the hell else are you doing with your time right now? Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're not watching it on Netflix, you're wasting the opportunity. There were so many years where it was like not easy to watch and now it's so available. Exactly. In crisp 4K, whatever. Like, come <laughs> on, people. Uh, well, you can find me at Rain Dirks on Twitter. You can find us at Bitterjurs uh, on, no, Bitterjurs Pod. On Twitter and Instagram. Holy hell, my brain just stopped working there for a second. It's okay. I know exactly how you feel. Last time, <laughs> the last time I did my word on the straights intro, I did it backwards, and I and we've done it like ninety times. At the point. <laughs> no, I've never done it wrong. And I didn't do it. Uh, but I'm at Sam Stanish on Instagram and Twitter, and you can follow my other podcast, Word on the Straits, Word on the Straits, STR8S on Instagram and Twitter. And you can hear my daily thoughts <laughs> on samstanish.substack.com. Hell yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe some dreary fan fiction coming from there too. You never know. know. So I'll probably run out of stuff to say eventually. So I'll have to start writing fanfic. It's true. You will, you will have to, you must. <laughs> you now have to. Yeah. I'll send you my, I'll send you some like highlights of some, you can lift from other fan fiction just as you lifted from Dragon Ball Z. Look at that. Perfect. Full there you go. <laughs> I'll find once you send me your excerpts, I'll put that into my Google search and I'll find your Neopets account. (laughs) Very good, very good. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you again, Gabby, so much, and uh, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.